Hi friend, my name is Amy Joy and this is the Make Prayer Beautiful podcast. I was looking recently at the beginning of Mark chapter one, where it begins the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then what I love about it is it doesn't actually start with Jesus. (laughs) It starts with the forerunner of Jesus. It starts with John the Baptist. And it, even before that, it starts, oh, this is so beautiful. It starts with the prediction of John the Baptist in the book of Isaiah, that God was going to send his messenger ahead of him to prepare the way before him. And so if you think about it, this is a really beautiful, powerful, we could say pre-framing device if we were looking at marketing. How do you market someone? Well, you say, oh, he didn't just spring out of nowhere. He had a forerunner to advance the way before him. Oh, and by the way, the forerunner was predicted by the prophet Isaiah, I think 600 years before Jesus was born, at least 400, quite a long time. And so then you have this forerunner. He springs onto the stage. And the picture that you have is it says that all Judea and the the people of Jerusalem went out to see him. And, you know, when I was young, I thought that that was meant to be taken literally. And so I was kind of trying to mathematically figure that out. Like, really? But what if there was one crippled person who couldn't make it? It was a while before I realized that, oh no, biblical language works just like our own current language. (laughs) That when you hear something like that, you're meant to understand it in the spirit that it's meant. Like, It was a whole lot. It was the talk of the town. It was the sporting event that everyone wanted to go to. It was basically a mini revival that they went and they, the people from the countryside of Judea and the city of Jerusalem were all out there confessing their sins. And this is also really interesting because the Jews have a really strong tradition of washing. They are well familiar with ritual purification. One of uh, one of my friends was telling me that she was a missionary in Eastern Europe for a while in Latvia. And she said at one point she was talking to a Jew who lived in her community and all of the synagogues had been burned, I think by the Nazis. And then of course, under um, Stalin's rule there in Russia, it was or in the USSR, it was not easy going for people who uh, were Jewish. And this woman said, though, after the fall of the USSR, that when her child was born, her first child, because there were no ritual purification places in their city in Riga, she had to go to, I think, to Moscow in order to go through the ritual cleansing. That was how concerned she was to make sure that she had had this proper washing. And that's pretty dedicated. And so the traditional Jewish baths where um, women would go to be washed, uh, I've heard Daniel or Rabbi Daniel Lappin talk about this at times. And I don't remember what he said, but there's a really specific size to these baths. There's a specific way that you enter and exit. And it's all, it's just a very soothing ritual. And so what you have though, instead of this like very uh, contained, well thought out, 
uh, on some level, probably clean, you know, like filled up and emptied on a fairly regular basis bath. Instead, you have the people and they're going down to the Jordan River. And, you know, I recognize that there's more pollutants in rivers now, but all along, rivers deal with erosion. It's not like oh, here's this sparkling stream that's just so beautiful. So the idea of having these these people who are used to going into their beautiful, you know, orderly places, and instead they're going into the Jordan to be baptized, and then they're not going to be baptized by a priest, because, I mean, on the one hand, we recognize from his lineage that John actually was of the priestly line. Both of his parents were part of that um, Levite descent. But instead, what you have is someone, he's not wearing the linen garments of a priest. He doesn't live in a city. He doesn't serve in the temple. Um, The indications when I was researching this a little bit, what does it mean that he was wearing camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist and that he ate locusts and wild honey? It really is a very subsistence lifestyle, very simple, austere, stark, and something that the very poor probably would have done. And so all of these people, they're going out to this kind of wild and untamed location to be baptized in this wild and untamed place by a wild and untamed man. It's very interesting what the forerunner of Jesus was like. And you know, that's that's all very beautiful. And I have heard maybe here and there little hints like, oh, maybe what John was wearing was a sign that he was part of the Essene sect. And I, I kind of did a little Google search. I didn't know if that came up very obviously, and it didn't. But what did come up was a connection that I had never really noticed before. You know, it says in the book of Luke, when the angel is prophesying to his father, to Zechariah, about who John will be, that he will have the spirit and power of Elijah. And what it says, <laughs> I had never seen this, and it's so awesome. What it says, I think in 2 Kings 1.9, is that uh, it says what Elijah wears, and he wears a hair shirt and a leather belt. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Because if you remember, um, <laughs> think Elijah had been missing for a while. And when somebody goes to tell the king that Elijah's appeared again, he's like, yeah, what's he wearing? And the guy's like, oh no, he has a hair shirt and a leather belt. And the king is like, oh yeah, that's our guy. And so it's interesting then that here you have John the Baptist, who literally is wearing the same kind of clothes as Elijah the Tishbite, so many years before, centuries and centuries before. And so he's coming in that same spirit and power as Elijah. And that's the forerunner. And then you think, okay, all of these people were being baptized for repentance, for the remission of sins. And that's interesting, um, beautiful, good. You know, they're confessing. That's great. And then (laughs) it is interesting, though, because what it says, this is John's message that his message was, one is coming after who is greater than I, who has more power than I. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. And I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so you have John and he's pointing ahead and he's saying, I'm good, but this guy is more powerful. He's more worthy. His baptism is going to be so much better. It's the difference between water and the Holy Spirit. Like kind of no compare here, people. And that's his message. And 
so then you have Jesus come on the scene and Jesus is like, oh, please baptize me. And that doesn't really make much sense, honestly, because all the other people were being baptized for the remission of sins and Jesus didn't have any of those. And so it's fascinating that for him, he was doing this out of obedience, not necessarily because it was something that he actually needed and that he was so uh, submitted to his father's will, which is very beautiful. And so, Lord, I thank you for this picture of how even the clothes that John wore were pointing back to the prophetic declarations from the past. I thank you that the beginning of Jesus was not just a blank slate that suddenly burst on the scene when he was born, but that there was a history built up behind him that pointed the way to him. Lord, I thank you just for how beautiful your word is. Lord, that when we come to it, that there is always something new to see. Lord, even for me, just how amazing it was to see, oh, I had never connected what Elijah actually wore and how this little detail kind of tucked into the middle of the longer story of Elijah and Ahab and all of the drama around them, that that detail was actually important. I love how you can make even the details important. Thank you, Lord, for how you insert yourself into our lives. We give you praise. Amen.